This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Uh, welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. Hey, I'm back from a break, taking some time off in the summer to spend some time with the family. But uh, we're back in effect, and we are going to be talking about space and robotics and other areas that are also moving forward with the Defense Department. We've got one of our favorite guests, John Harper from National Defense Magazine. He's on the line, and he will be talking to us today about the Space Symposium and a number of other things that's going on. John, welcome to Fed Access. Thanks for having me back on the show, Derek. Hey, it's my pleasure. Hey, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, if, if you would kind of look at the news right now, you wouldn't know that anything else is going on in the in the world of defense right now. But it seems as if there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on right now in terms of space and robotics. And I know Space Command has been evolving. Walk me through about this space symposium that's happening right now. What's been going on and what are they talking about with this right now? Well, there was the big annual uh, space symposium uh, out in Colorado, uh, hosted by the Space Foundation. And uh, it brings together uh, a lot of uh, military leaders who are focused on space, uh, a lot of industry folks, uh, a lot of people in the think tank community. uh, And of course, there are journalists uh, covering it as well. So it's a big annual confab uh, where a lot of the the big issues that are happening in space uh, are discussed, including uh, a large focus on sort of the military and uh, defense aspect of that. You know, when we kind of look at the whole dynamic of space, where are things going? I mean, you know, we, I know we had space command. And I know that came under the former president is that it seems as if that's kind of trucking along and will continue to be moving forward. I know they're kind of developing. Is that still kind of in the works under the Biden administration that they're not going to let that go? Is that still going to be kind of the fifth branch? Well, I shouldn't even say the fifth or almost the sixth branch of the kind of the military services kind of going forward. What's happening right now with space? Well, there is a lot of continuity uh, between the uh, Biden and Trump administrations uh, when it comes to space. You know, obviously, the Space Force was stood up, as you noted, as an independent mm-hmm. branch of the military uh, during the Trump administration. Uh, they you know, reactivated um, U.S. Space Command. Um, and, you know, those are, are continuing along. In fact, uh, they just announced that uh, Space Command achieved uh, initial uh, operating capability uh, this month, um, which is sort of a, you know, to some extent, uh, a bureaucratic term, but it just basically means they're, they're advancing their capabilities in a, a better place than they were, um, or uh, further along than when they initially stood things up. Um, and uh, Space Command, it's, you know, one of the uh, military combatant commands, and it's basically responsible for space operations in outer space, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. the name kind of uh, suggests. So, for example, uh, you know, moving satellites, um, you know, uh, other uh, activities like that. Right. You know, I, I saw one of your recent articles on, on National Defense Magazine where you kind of mentioned that there's a whole dynamic of the Navy and Marines are gearing up for space warfare. And I know when I used to be in the Marine Corps, you know, we were, I mean, you know, we would always watch the movies, right, about kind of aliens and you would kind of see the space Marines. And what is going on with that right now? Is, is, are we moving to having uh, Marines who are armed in space or are there going to be kind of a Star 
Trek situation where we've got the Captain Kirk or Captain Picard scenarios? Or what are we looking at? A kind of USS Enterprise? Or what does that mean in terms of the Navy and the Marines are gearing up for space warfare? Well, I think certainly, uh, you know, sci-fi movies and shows um, have, uh, you know, created certain images in the public mind about what space operations might look like. But, uh, you know, at, at this point in time, the military isn't building, a, you know, a Death Star. Uh, you know, there aren't, uh, you know, Marines as Jedi fighters uh, out there in space. Um, it's primarily about, you know, utilizing uh, satellites, uh, you know, the uh, related uh, ground stations and things like that, uh, trying to, you know, pr- both protect uh, U.S. spacecraft, uh, whether they're, you know, satellites or or other vehicles. And, and also the military doesn't like to talk about this much, but, uh, you know, uh, it would be responsible for employing offensive capabilities against enemy uh, satellites in the event of a, a war. Is there still a big concern about the, the dynamics of kind of China and Russia as it relates to uh, maybe those being the top two areas that we may be concerned who may try to either shoot down our space, uh, uh, you know, maybe a space station or maybe military satellites, or something of that sort, and then maybe trying to prevent those kind of forces from doing harm to our capabilities? Is that what the, the main frame of that is? Absolutely. Uh, you know, China and Russia are, are definitely the key concerns. Uh, you know, both countries have anti-satellite missiles um, that could be launched uh, to attack U.S. satellites. Um, and the Pentagon is uh, concerned about that in a number of ways. Uh, you know, as I just noted, the, uh, the anti-satellite missiles, there are a lot of other mm-hmm. ways that you could, you know, attack U.S. spacecraft. You could use a, a laser, for example, uh, jammers to prevent them from functioning properly. You could, you know, hit a U.S. satellite with another satellite, uh, sort of a, you know, a kamikaze type of operation. You know, you, uh, there are even technologies now, and the U.S. is working on technologies. It's called uh, on-orbit servicing of satellites, and the commercial sector is developing these capabilities as well. But you could even theoretically sort of latch on to a satellite and move it into a different orbit or, you know, make it function uh, the way it's not supposed to function. Um, And the Pentagon's worried about all of those things. And they're concerned that, for example, say there were a war with China, you know, China could uh, launch uh, an attack and disable GPS satellites, for example, which uh, not only has military implications, but, uh, you know, uh, implications, you know, for everyone. Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but I can barely get anywhere in my car without a GPS, you know, navigation uh, on my smartphone. And I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat. And a number of other key aspects of civilian life are also dependent on U.S. space capabilities. So it's it's a huge concern, not just uh, from a military perspective, but also just uh, for the country as well. Hey, can you, can you break things down? I know that there's a, a number of pieces. I'm, I'm just looking at the dynamic that the Marine Corps is doing kind of Mar 4 space, right, and everything else. But is Space Command right now a kind of conglomerate of all the different branches where they're kind of bringing the people together? They still are in their own branch, but they are under Space Command as a whole, uh, or is it kind of like a UCOM or PACOM or AFRICOM, this, that, and the other? Or is Space Command becoming their own component where they have uh, a branch where they're going to be enlisting people who are going to be highly technical 
you know, engineers and scientists and everything else. And they will be uh, wearing the uniform of the Space Command kind of going forward. Or is it a little bit of a combination of both? Where is that kind of breaking itself out? Well, Space Command is uh, a joint combatant command. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Indo-Pacific Command, for example, mm-hmm. uh, y- you know, as sort of an analogy, which has folks, you know, from the Air Force, Navy, Army, you know, all all the branches. And Spacecom is similar in that sense. It's not just members of the Space Force who are participating in that. You have uh, all the different components that contribute to that. You have personnel from all the branches who are uh, working at Spacecom, you know, not perfectly analogous with the Space Force, for example, which is a branch of the military. U.S. Spacecom uh, is a is a combatant command, so it's a it's really a joint um, effort in that regard. Got it, got it. Now, it, 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 I don't know if there was a big conversation at Space Symposium, John, about Space Force. Is that going to be its own branch that's going to be doing recruiting and everything else like everybody else? I mean, are we going to start to see Space Force at the nearest recruiting office or or what's the what's the outlook for that going forward? Uh, Yes, Space Force, you know, is is already set up as a separate branch and they're uh, recruiting folks. In fact, uh, I think they recently uh, launched a new uh, recruiting ad and you can probably find it on, you know, YouTube or uh, somewhere else on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, you know, they're recruiting folks from the outside. Uh, the Defense Department is also uh, transferring uh, folks from other branches, you know, Air Force, Navy, Army, for example, into the Space Force. So these are people who uh, were focused on space in their respective branches kind of before the Space Force became a thing. And so they're transferring their expertise uh, over to the Space Force. Got it. You know, I'm looking to, to hear like space, the final frontier. <laughs> you, know, I'm right. trying, you know, I'm looking for the ad to say something like that, John. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, you, you also mentioned in, in, in one of your reporting pieces about the dynamic of digital engineering and that many of the in, in this whole kind of framework that the command is embracing digital engineering. When it kind of comes to that, what is that talking about? Is that a whole new level of engineering? Is that uh, looking at data a different kind of way or what, what's going on with the digital, digital engineering dynamic? Uh, well, you know, that type of thing um, has been going on um, in the commercial world for a while, and the Defense Department is trying to uh, kind of embrace that concept, not just for space systems, but for aircraft uh, and a number of other systems. And basically what it is, it's, uh, you know, utilizing digital models, you know, some people, uh, you know, refer to digital twins um, or other simulation tools that you can use, you know, kind of during the design or assembly or testing, uh, you know, the development phase of, of some of these systems um, to give you a better idea of how they will work um, and interoperate with other systems without having to build, you know, physical prototypes necessarily. And you can, you know, feed in data related to systems that already exist, for example, you know, kind of into these activities uh, and see how everything will would interoperate. So it's it's kind of an effort to uh, you know improve the development process uh, for weapon systems, for is, example. Is, is it almost like a sim- like almost simulations and prototyping type stuff in order to kind of see how things might work in in, in a certain kind of environment? Is, is that the framework that's going on right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. Kind of using digital models, mm-hmm. um, other other digital tools to, you know, maybe work out uh, the kinks of, of certain systems or uh, kind of figure out, you know, how you want to design systems, how you might want to operate systems. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of different uh, digital and, and simulation tools kind of go into that. But that's a really big uh, initiative that some folks at the Pentagon uh, have been pushing you know, as they're trying to modernize their systems, develop new uh, technologies, uh, you know, the, sort of the higher end, high tech equipment and, and platforms that they would want to use in the future. Awesome. Hey, we're talking to John Harper. He's a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. He's been focusing on the areas of space and other areas of defense, robotics and other areas that are very, very important. Emerging technology that's happening right now. We're talking about those issues today. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be talking more about space and also robotics and all the other kind of critical issues that we're seeing going on in the Department of Defense in terms of the future of what's happening in terms of maybe warfare or the protection of certain kind of systems or anything else that deals with our national security. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. George from the Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to FedEx. That's with Derek T. Dortch on the Federal News Network. Uh, we're talking to John Harper. He is the managing editor of National Defense Magazine. And we're talking to him about some of the most recent coverage that he had under the Space Symposium, talking about what's going on with Space Command and what other kind of developments are happening in the space community, as well as some other reporting that he had with robotics that's happening within the DOD system as well. John has been covering these different issues, and so he's one of the people who can give us a framework about where the Department of Defense is going in terms of the future. As, as we kind of keep on joking, I'm always thinking about kind of Star Trek and, you know, Star Wars and this, that, and the other. But, John, you know, as you were kind of covering the dynamic of this interoperability of Spacecom, right, you know, how they can achieve this, you know, initial operational capability, I think you mentioned in the previous segment that they just stood up to where they have this operational capability right now, which meant that it's more about um, them being able to uh, kind of do what? Is that more kind of an operational standing in terms of they can launch off uh, different kind of systems or is that more that the offices are up and running in order for, for them to do the research and development for where they want to go in the future? Which one, or is it a combination of both? Um, it's more about uh, being able to uh, employ, uh, you know, capabilities, um, not necessarily, you know, standing up offices and and uh, and things like that. Um, so it's more, you know, uh, from an operational uh, perspective and in, in terms of how the capabilities have developed. Um, so they've kind of reached a new uh, milestone um, and, uh, you know, it's the commander, General uh, Dickinson, you know, talked mm-hmm. about how you know, it, uh, you know, they're also capable of, you know, uh, having an impact on a more strategic level than they were, uh, you, you know, when they first uh, uh, started up a couple of years ago. And then, you know, I know that space kind of talked about has matured into a war fighting force uh, that is prepared to address threats from competition, you know, to, you know, whether conflicts or whatever the case is. Um, if that, in terms of the framework of saying, listen, we're a war fighting force. Um, does that mean right now we do have space capability that can also uh, defend either our satellites or our interests within space? Or what do they mean by that, John? I mean, I know that's, that's kind of a very, very broad term, but they said that we, you know, we've matured into this war fighting force. What does that stand? 
Right. Um, and that's, you know, an important thing to note is that the Pentagon now considers space to be a war fighting domain kind of on par with land, air, sea, um, and cyberspace as well. Okay. You know, and, and uh, officials have basically indicated that, you, you know, if there were a war with China, for example, you know, they think it's likely that, uh, you know, space systems would be involved in that. Um, and that's not only, uh, you know, in terms of trying to defend U.S. satellites, but, um, you know, the U.S. certainly has some capabilities that could be used in an offensive capacity to take out enemy satellites, for example. But space is, uh, you, know, you know, perhaps the most highly classified area um, of military capabilities. Um, but one uh, thing that I thought was very notable at the space symposium is, you know, officials are now, you know, basically openly pushing uh, senior Pentagon leadership to allow them to talk more about uh, the capabilities, you know, space-related capabilities that the U.S. military has. Mm -hmm. and, and they see a lot of deterrence value in that. You know, uh, you know one official kind of paraphrased, uh, you know, Dr. Strangelove, you know, if, uh, you know, the whole point of deterrence is, you know, making your adversary afraid to attack you because you could attack them back. But if they don't know, you know, generally, at least what kind of capabilities you have, you might lose some of that deterrent effect. So, you know, they're not right. arguing to, you know, release all the details of these classified systems. Certainly a lot of things will remain classified. But I do think one thing to watch here, you know, in the coming months is you might see the Pentagon be a little bit more open um, about the capabilities it possesses. And so, you know, I think there perhaps might be an analogy here with uh, the way they dealt with discussing cyber capabilities a few years ago. You know, they for a while would only talk about, you know, the need to defend Pentagon and, and other networks from attack. It was very, uh, all the public discussion was very sort of very, defensive. very vague. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very vague, also very defense focused, like, oh, we need to protect our systems. And then they became a little more open about talking about U.S. offensive capabilities, you know, the ability mm -hmm. to attack other countries or other organizations systems. And, you know, once the war with ISIS started up, then the Pentagon started talking about how they're dropping, you know, quote unquote, cyber bombs on terrorist mm -hmm. organizations to uh, to mess up their activities. Um and I think I think even that even came down when it came to Korea and Iran when you know some of those situations came out where we kind of faced a couple of attacks and we may have had some you know uh, a, you know where we kind of did some blowback against them where we kind of just said listen we we have the capability to come back at you right I remember those kind of situations from as well right absolutely uh, yeah I mean the um, you know details were revealed that uh, you know. Uh, there was there was an operation against uh or you know a cyber related operation against um iranian uh, nuclear facilities mm -hmm. um and so that kind of came out um and uh it, you know i suspect that um you know perhaps in the not too distant future the pentagon's going to be a little bit more open in terms of talking about what they can do you know they've talked kind of in hypotheticals uh, you know, about what future systems could potentially be. But, you know, they've also described, uh, you know, kind of Chinese and 
and Russian weapons, and presumably the U.S. military has developed similar capabilities. Um, uh, so, you know, they may talk more openly about capabilities that they developed or, you know, demonstrations that perhaps in the past might have been kept classified and secret. But, you know, and now it's not just a push, you know, from people from the outside who want to know more. I mean, the, you know, military officials now are openly at conferences right uh, publicly talking about like hey it might be helpful if some of this was declassified or we could talk more openly so i think that's certainly something to watch do you think that we're going to begin seeing um a lot more demonstrations of certain programs that we do have you know how right now sometimes you can see demonstration of certain weapons like a tank system or you know one of our missile systems right that's not you know you know, too hard to find. You can find yourself on YouTube or, you know, other videos, right? You go to defense.gov, you can find a bunch of stuff sometimes about capabilities, right? About naval systems and this, that, and the other. Do you think that we're going to be moving towards that direction with Space Force or Space Command that we'll begin to see videos or, you know, uh, uh, specifications that come out about certain kind of systems? You know, that's uh, an interesting point. Um, I don't know that it will be exactly on par with, you know, for example, um, you know, when the military shows clips of, uh, you know, aircraft firing weapons and destroying a target or the, you know, army, you know, uh, you know, employing tanks and exercises and things like that. Because with space, um, one kind of challenge is that, um, you know, if you actually destroy a satellite in orbit, whether it's, you know, an an enemy satellite or just a defunct friendly satellite, if you wanted to just conduct a test and you blew up a satellite in orbit, it would create a lot of debris that would be floating around there. You know, the satellite Mm -hmm. wouldn't just evaporate. Right. And so other spacecraft could collide with that debris. In fact, uh, uh, I think it was, you know, roughly... 10 years ago, China blew up a defunct satellite in orbit. And uh, the U.S. and a lot of other countries got really upset about that um, because it kind of demonstrated an anti-satellite missile capability, but it also, uh, you know, created some... Uh, a bunch uh, of space junk. It's a bunch of space junk. Right, <laughs> absolutely. It's, yeah, it cre- yeah, it essentially creates space junk. It's sort of like if on the highway... You know, there, you know, this isn't a perfect analogy, but if there were just uh, some rocks, you know, big rocks mm-hmm. strewn along the road and you had cars, you know, going down the interstate and all of a sudden right. there are some rocks out there that could potentially cause damage. That's not a perfect analogy, but it's, you know, no, uh, perhaps could... a way to kind of wrap your mind around how, you know, that could create problems if, oh, yeah. you know, you're just blowing up, even if you're blowing up your own satellites, not right. starting a war, but exactly, exactly. So you might, they might be, you know, openly discussing simulations where they, you know, kind of digitally or in a uh, sort of a training and simulation environment, you know, practice destroying enemy satellites. Um, That kind of thing might be, uh, you know, a more likely scenario than the U.S. military blowing up a bunch of stuff in space. Right. Do we have a timeline where this transparency and this kind of classification is well where we may begin to see this kind of stuff come out, or is that gonna be maybe before the year is over, John? Or what I mean, what's your thoughts from the symposium? Are you thinking that in twenty twenty two we'll begin to see more and more of this kind of conversation happen? Or as hopefully maybe the pivot goes off of other maybe critical areas, 
we begin to see kind of space kind of have a little bit more of a conversation. I know there's a big push in terms of STEM careers and everything else within DOD. Will there be a combination of kind of a talk under those STEM careers? Like, hey, this is exciting stuff. And you guys should get involved in this and let us show you what we can do. And then that also encourages young people to get involved in these STEM careers. Would it be a kind of a combination of that? What you think? Yeah, I think so. And that was also, you know, uh, there are, uh, you know, some kind of analogies between space and cyberspace, just in terms how the how the military has tried to approach that, you know, in their mm-hmm. sort of public commentary. You know, obviously the uh, you know, Cyber Command and uh, the NSA, you know, they want to recruit folks. Um, so I'm sure from a recruiting perspective, you know, if they if they could talk a little bit more about the stuff that they're doing that they think would be cool to people, you know, who are on the outside who might want to pursue that type of career, you know, I, I would imagine, you know, if the Space Force or other uh, DOD space agencies could maybe talk a little bit more openly about what they're doing, you know, perhaps that would be, uh, you know, helpful from a recruiting perspective. Uh, But I think a lot of the DOD thinking now is kind of on that deterrence aspect that we touched upon a minute ago, Uh, you know, trying to make other countries understand that, you know, if U.S. systems are attacked, you know, the the U.S. military can uh, certainly hit back. So I, you know, I don't know exactly when they're going to become more open. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in uh, the coming months. Um, but, you know, I think that's uh, going to be a discussion at, at higher levels as to what they're comfortable talking about publicly, what can be declassified, what they want to keep classified. I mean, space is still just because of the nature of the systems mm-hmm. uh, is going to remain, a, a, you know, a pretty highly classified area that they're probably not going to talk about uh, openly as much as they would with, you know, aircraft uh, or ships, for example. But I, but I do expect uh, here in the future, there's going to be a little bit more uh, openness. So when exactly that'll happen, you know, I don't know, but uh, like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if in the not too distant future, uh, you know, that's uh, what we see happening. We're talking about space, the final frontier. I had to get it in, John. I had to get it in. Um, the space, the final, fr- <laughs> the space, the final frontier. We're talking about what the Department of Defense is doing in terms of space. There was just a recent space symposium that John Harper was at, and he was covering it uh, in terms of kind of finding out what the D- Department of Defense is doing um, with a number of different areas. Maybe being more transparent about what they have capabilities to do. It sounds very, very exciting about what they are already able to do as they're kind of speaking about that we have war fighting capabilities in space. We don't know exactly what that means, but, you know, that that has a number of us kind of thinking about, hmm, what does that mean kind of going forward? We're talking about all these issues today with John Harper. He's a managing editor at National Defense Magazine. You can find him at nationaldefensemagazine.org. We're going to keep this conversation going a little bit more about space when we come back. But we're going to also dive into some of the robotics and unmanned uh, issues that are going on right now, drones and drone vehicles, this, that, and the other, as we continue this conversation. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on the Federal News Network. We're talking about a number of different issues right now as it relates to the Defense Department and space and robotics and everything else. We have one of our favorite guests, John Harper. He's a managing editor of National Defense Magazine. 
he covers these issues and have been really kind of diving into a number of things as it relates to space. He was just recently at this or recently covering the space symposium that they just had. They had a number of different uh, kind of critical issues about space warfare and digital engineering and other kind of key issues about operational capability that are all becoming a lot more of what the Space Command is talking about, about where we're going and what the future of Space Command is, maybe Space Force will be uh, kind of going forward. Hey, John, there was an interesting article you wrote about the kind of the logistics aspects that um, Space Force is thinking about being able to supply warfighters for rockets. Now, I guess the question that I have for you is, if they're talking about supplying people on other planets, or are they talking about supplying people in war zones that maybe we may be fighting in the future and using rockets to go up and then come down and supply them uh, with certain kind of materials or gear or whatever that war fighting component may need in the future. Which one is that? It would be focused on uh, point to point delivery of taking supplies uh, from one uh, part of the earth, for example, from the United States um, mm. Uh, to another location overseas, um, you know, whether that's the Middle East or the Pacific, um, whether it's a war zone or a, sort of a logistics hub. Um, the uh, uh, Space Force and uh, Air Force Research Laboratory, which uh, helps, you know, develop both for the Air Force and the Space Force, um, they uh, announced this new uh, program called Rocket Cargo um, a few months ago. It's exploring that uh, concept where, for example, um, you know, uh, the idea is that you could load up uh, a rocket uh, with a lot of equipment, a lot of gear, uh, a lot of supplies, and transport it in, you know, an hour, maybe 90 minutes uh, to somewhere, uh, you know, all the way uh, or halfway around the world. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the uh, mm-hmm. operational benefit of that um, compared to other forms of transportation, you know, cargo aircraft, for example, is that it would be uh, much faster. Uh, but that's, you know, depends on whether they can actually get it to work. Um, you know, when I first heard about it, you know, and I uh, covered their press briefing about it when they kind of unveiled this, you know, I thought it sounded, you know, uh, maybe a little bit uh pie in the sky. I wasn't really sure about it. Uh, But the experts I talked to said, you know, from a technical perspective, it's theoretically feasible. But, you know, there are obviously some uh, some challenges involved in that. But it's certainly an interesting uh, concept uh, and, you know, offers obvious advantages if they could actually uh, get it to work. But that's a, a big question mark at this point. I mean, I know it's a very interesting challenge, but if they did get it to work, I guess it would resolve maybe some of the supply issues as it relates to having to fly, you know, the C-17s or the different kind of aircraft to resupply troops. They could just send a rocket over, drop it into that area, and then they could get what they need with maybe within a shorter period of time in terms of a resupply of a force going forward. I guess that's the whole concept of that, the logistics demands of possible fighting wars overseas um, if they could get that concept working, that would really kind of give us uh, military supremacy on the battlefield. Is that what they're thinking about? Right, absolutely. I mean, the idea, or at least, you know, kind of the vision they have right now is that, um, you know, you could load up, say, a, a rocket developed by uh, a commercial space company, mm-hmm. load it up with up to 100 tons of military supplies and equipment, uh, say, here in the U.S., and, you know, 
launch it either, you know, uh, on the suborbital trajectory or, uh, uh, you know, in that outer space and bring it back down um, where you want it. Um, you know, there's some infrastructure that would be required there. That's one challenge, you know, uh, uh, having a port, you know, to land these things. They've talked about potentially, um, you know, being able to kind of drop the cargo without having to actually land the rocket. Um, but part of this has been inspired by uh, developments in the commercial space sector. You know, companies like SpaceX have developed uh, reusable rockets um, and, uh, you know, launch costs have, have come down. Um, and, you know, they're able to, to launch some of their rockets and, you know, land them back down after they've been used. Um, this, right. what the military envisions would be more complicated but they're really hoping to tap into the commercial sector, not just for this program, but other programs as well. And, and they're, they're doing so for some of these other programs. But, you know, the military is not looking to build their own rockets uh, necessarily for this rocket cargo program. They're hoping maybe to kind of, you know, uh, essentially buy services from commercial companies, say like, hey, we'll pay you X amount of money if you can deliver these supplies uh, for us. Right. Um, so that, that's a big component of this. I, I guess my question for you, John, is, is, are we going to be seeing the military getting uh, deliveries from like Amazon Prime on the rocket <laughs> <laughs> in terms of going forward? But but being serious is, is you know, with the recent developments of like uh, Richard Branson going into space and Jeff Bezos going into space and Blue Origin, as you mentioned, SpaceX from Elon Musk and this, that and the other. Um, I guess is DOD uh, uh, working kind of with NASA and also the commercial sector to really kind of maybe invest into th in those commercial companies to see if this uh, maybe idea can actually become a reality. Absolutely. Um, they, uh, the Pentagon already, you know, has a contract with SpaceX for the national security uh, space launch program. So, you know, they're already paying commercial companies to put, uh, you know, what they call payloads mm -hmm. uh, in orbit. Those are essentially satellites. Um, so they're already renting, you know, buying these services uh, from these companies, you know, using their rockets. Um, you know, you mentioned Richard, Richard Branson, you know, he has a vision of, uh, you know, launching rockets from, uh, uh, you know, 747 type of aircraft, you know, that are airborne, kind of launching rockets into space. A number of companies, you know, are working on uh, launch technologies and other, you know, supporting technologies. Um, you know, a lot of companies are, are you know, putting new satellites in the uh, low Earth orbit. Um, and that kind of fits in with the, you know, the Pentagon's vision of, uh, of trying to tap into the commercial sector to supply, uh, you know, smaller, less expensive you know, more expendable satellites than some of the, you know, really exquisite high price tag uh, spy satellites and other satellites that they have operating now. And so, you know, the idea is to kind of create what they call a mesh network um, of satellites that could transport data, serve as, uh, you know, uh, kind of provide space situational awareness. Mm -hmm. And so you could have a lot, uh, a, a much higher quantity uh, of satellites up, up there in case, for example, China shot down some U.S. military satellites, you know, you have, they you have, have, you have redundancy almost. Ab absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, about creating redundancy 
resiliency, you know, in the event of a conflict and, you know, the space development agency has uh, uh, been awarding contracts to companies to put uh, satellites up there, uh, you know, for this uh, exact purpose. So the work is already uh, underway in that regard. And, and certainly, you know, there's a lot going on in the commercial space sector. Um, you know, you noted um, uh, some of those just a few minutes ago, but also, you know, the Pentagon is wants to partner closely uh, with some of these space firms uh, for their own military purposes. So there's kind of a, a crossover, you know, I guess in some ways you could think about it, you know, there are commercial aircraft, you know, companies like Boeing, for example, that build mm -hmm. commercial aircraft, but they also build fighter jets and other equipment for the military. So, you know, in aerospace, there's a, a lot of crossover there. Right. Without question. We're talking to John Harper. He's a managing editor of National Defense Magazine, and he's going and breaking things down for us about what's going on with space and the Department of Defense. Our Space Command, our Space Force seems to have a a lot of creative ideas that they're exploring, a number of different new developments that are happening right now in terms of space. And hopefully we'll be able to see some of this stuff come out in the near future as they're working towards some transparency and letting the public know, but also letting maybe our enemies know, our adversaries know that we have certain capabilities that should not be messed with going forward. On our last segment, which will be kind of quick, we're going to talk about some robotics. There's some interesting programs, Skyborg and everything else I want to dive into with John. You listen to Fed Access uh, with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we've been talking about a number of interesting developments um, that go well beyond what you're kind of seeing on the news right now with the Department of Defense. A number of different things as it relates to space. The Department of Defense is doing some heavy investment when it comes to space, the Space Command, Space Force, and other areas. Some exciting new developments that are happening in those arenas, and we've been talking about it with John Harper from National Defense Magazine. Hey, John, um, you know, we as we talked about space, that also kind of led me to another article that you had uh, kind of touched upon about the robotic dynamic, right? Because, of course, we're always thinking about kind of space and robots and everything else kind of almost in our, in our, in our minds, right? Um, but what is the Air Force doing with this robotic wingman dynamic, the Skyboard program? What is that about? That kind of, it sounds kind of scary because we think about kind of cyborgs, but what is Skyborg about? Yeah, you know, you're right. It's sort of a combination of Skynet from the, you know, it sounds like a combination of Skynet from the Terminator movies and exactly. cyborgs and it, yeah, it sounds very ominous. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that's a, you know, a branding uh, issue for them. But, um, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm sure it's part of the scared of enemy type thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it's part of uh, that, you know, deterrence concept that exactly. we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, as you noted, the Air Force uh, has this program uh, called Skyborg, and it's uh, the aim essentially is to create what they kind of refer to as uh, robotic uh, wingmen. And those would be different than a lot of the drones that have, you know, gotten a lot of attention, you know, in the post 9-11 wars, um, you know, predator drones, for example, which you know, drones are sometimes kind of lumped together just as sort of any unmanned aircraft. But those Predator drones or Reaper drones uh, were really more remotely operated aircraft, mm -hmm. meaning that there was no pilot, you know, in a cockpit, uh, you know, flying them over the battlefield. But they were 
you know, remotely operated by a human being, you know, and uh, like in, you know, someone sitting in, a, you know, in a basin, ne- yeah, <laughs> Nevada, exactly, you know, with a, a controller, you know, uh, operating these drones, firing missiles from them. So there was that human in the loop there, um, you know, directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea with the robotic wingman is, you know, you could have, for example, more autonomous uh, fighter jets, for example, you know, that utilize artificial intelligence or machine learning and, and other advanced technologies where they could fly alongside or, you know, in operations with manned fighter jets, for example, but you wouldn't have to have someone on the ground, you know, controlling them with a, you know, a, a joystick or another type of uh, controller. They would be able to operate more autonomously you know you might have a pilot or a commander kind of overseeing the mission and giving Mm -hmm. general instructions to these aircraft but they would be kind of flying uh on their own essentially um and perhaps even employing weapons or or other capabilities and you know the advantage of that obviously you know if you know you don't have to send human pilots into battle it you know mm-hmm. takes them out of harm's way it's not as big of a deal if someone blows up a drone and you know doesn't you know they bl- destroy a machine but don't kill right. anybody right um and you know uh, another aspect of this is that they think some of these robotic wingmen would be cheaper than for example uh you know a really hot uh, fancy uh f-35 joint strike fighter you know they think that these robotic uh, wingman could potentially be purchased at you know a, a fraction of that price so there's also kind of a cost saving force mm-hmm. multiplier dynamic to this so that's uh you know kind one of, of the of quicker to get them into the fight as well you don't have to have a pilot you don't have to train nobody just put the program into it and then off it goes right there are definitely a lot of advantages if they can get it to work that they think uh, they want it to work and they've been making progress on this program it's one of their top uh, R&D uh, priorities. That, that kind of leads me to the sea dynamic. I mean, the two areas of kind of space and sea. Um, there's been some stuff about kind of the unmanned vehicles on the, on the seaside or, or, or the kind of the underwater areas. What's going on in those areas, John? Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly unmanned technology, robotics technology isn't just of interest uh, to the Air Force. You know, the the Army's developing robotic combat vehicles. And, that, you know, as you noted, the Navy is uh really gung-ho uh on this um you know they're developing um unmanned aircraft that can take off and land from aircraft carriers and refuel other aircraft they've got uh robotic uh surface vessels uh in the works as well as um what they call unmanned underwater vehicles sort of you know submarines essentially that could operate uh, below the waves, um, and and they're pushing forward on all these fronts, doing uh, testing and uh, experimentation. Uh, you know, they've got systems in a variety of different uh, sizes that can do different types of missions. You know, um, they want to use these for, uh, you know, everything from, uh, you know, mine detection and clearing to sensing or or spying. Uh, to, you know, potentially in the future, they could be used to, uh, you know, attack other, you know, enemy ships, uh, uh, you know, or deliver cargo. There there are a lot of uses uh, that are envisioned. And in the longer term, you know, over the next uh, 10 to 20 years, uh, the Navy 
uh, envisions a fleet that um, has a very large percentage uh, of unmanned vessels. You know, uh, uh, top Pentagon leaders have talked about, you know, maybe as, you know, much of a, uh, as a third of the fleet, you know, thereabouts could potentially be uh, unmanned. And, uh, you know, uh, similar to having unmanned aircraft, you know, if you have unmanned vessels, you take sailors out of harm's way, uh, they could potentially be less expensive than some mm-hmm. of these large uh, manned platforms. So it's, um, you know, something that they're really uh, pushing for. And, you know, uh, as I noted, a variety of systems and a variety of sizes with a variety of uh, capabilities. So that's definitely a trend I think we'll be seeing in coming years. John, you always give us some exciting insights about what's going on in the Department of Defense, some exciting uh, developments that I guess we could be looking forward to either the rest of the year and going into 2022. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what happens with these different things. But thank you so much. I'm going to be checking in with you in a couple months to see where things are going. You can find John's articles at nationaldefensemagazine.org. He's a managing editor there has always come on the show and give us these great insights. So sometimes a little bit scary, John, but uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're always fascinating about what's going on in terms of the world of defense and also kind of space and robotics and other areas. Thank you, John, for being on the show. We'll be catching up with you soon. It's great talking with you, Derek. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 1 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 